This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome to Herd Tell. Okay, we talk about hard, tough stuff here. When we do it, we get knowledgeable guests. He's one of our favorites. He is a trusted confidant on many things offline. We're going to talk about this real hard one online. We're going to talk about this John Fetterman, Mehmet Oz situation. He is the independence man in Congress. He is a published author of We Are Not Broken. Great book on autism. If you haven't got it yet, pause this, go over to Amazon, order it real quick, read that thing. It is an outstanding book. The new version's coming out. Eric Garcia, how are you, my friend? Doing okay. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, I'd rather not talk about it. Let me, me let me just it. summarize this situation. I hate how this primary has played out. I hate how the people backing these two candidates have conducted themselves. I don't like how the candidates themselves have conducted themselves. I don't yeah. like the situation. I didn't like the debate. I didn't like how it was handled. I really didn't like the reaction to it. I hate everything about this situation. Did I accurately summarize the situation as we see it with the yes, U.S. Senate in a lot of ways. race? So let's put some things out there. I think that already this was going to, the reason why so many people with disabilities had a visceral reaction to the way the commentators did is because they'd already framed closed captioning in a really bad way. Plenty of people, literally I was at Vanderbilt University two weeks ago. That was when I got on, that was uh, like, I was giving a presentation and it had closed captioning because there are some people with developmental disabilities. So I think that there was already that framing that made things rough. The, I think the other, the other thing is that this is a community that has historically not been treated that well by the press. So let's get that out of the way. Second, I think that this is that the press did a lot of terrible things cover covers the press covers disability pretty terribly I'd argue because if you remember any time that, and my friend Rebecca Coakley always says this, you know, we, anybody, anytime Trump did anything bad, they would all, they would say, oh, he can't drink water the right way, or he can't, or he can't go down the stairs when like plenty of people with disabilities. Do that. So let's just, um, let's put that out there. Let's also talk about the fact that um, the way that the moderators talked about disability wasn't necessarily the best, uh, talked about closed captioning wasn't necessarily the best. And then let's also just talk about how Fetterman was in a lose-lose situation regardless, because there would be people who would always judge him if he went on into the debate, and there would be people who would be judge him if he was not on the if he if he if he skipped it. And let's also talk about the fact that Oz had was not on, you, you know, it, it's really I, I understand, and this is why I say this is that. 
debates are inherently like i think that in a lot of ways debates just are a bad medium for people to make their decisions and most people have already made their decisions already by the time debates happen but oz while he you know while many people had concerns after the, the fetterman debate while many people in the democratic party and even a lot of republicans uh, oz didn't do that great in the debate either you know that clip about him on abortion and he come on he came off as a little snide and he dodged a lot of questions so let's put all those things out there this is not a good situation at all no and i'm going to set some parameters real quick because you and me talk all the time so we don't need it but yeah. for the audience let me, we're not going to do any diagnosing of medical conditions here that is okay? not because we place. don't know we don't know how to do that he had a stroke we're going to leave it at that you want to go yes. do WebMD on your own time you can do that we're not going to do that that's not what we're going to do here well, everything that Eric just said really didn't have anything to do with Fetterman himself and his performance. That's just background stuff of why people with disabilities. And we're going to touch on that in a minute because Fetterman's getting avatar and that needs to be dealt with, too. So we're going to talk about that in a second. OK, but we're not going to do diagnosis. We're not going to get into that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's not that's not a, it'd be malpractice to do otherwise. No, because, it you know, no, and Oz is a well, he's a charlatan, but he is a doctor. So. Yeah. You know, let me let me lay something on the table right up front where I'm okay. coming from, because bias is on the table. We know you've written extensively about disabilities. It's a community you are not only covering, but also a part of. Yes, that's your biases. Here's my biases um, before anybody wants to know, because I don't talk about this a whole lot. I've had a TBI. OK, yes. I so people are like, well, you don't know what it's like. Yeah, I kind of do, because I remember walking into work after three weeks off with half my face drawn up and full right side paralysis with my arm across my chest with that stupid little squeeze ball for weeks and weeks and weeks until I did yeah. enough rehab to get my arm straightened back out. And I remember the look on the, and I'm the, I'm the supervisor. I'm the boss, right? I remember the look on these 18, 19 year old kids' face with my face all drawn tight and I can't talk right. Cause I'm talking out of the side of my mouth. I'm doing OT. I'm doing PT. Look, yeah, I've been there. Okay. So I can at least empathize, sympathize, whatever term you want to be in. It yeah. sucks when you yes. can't talk correctly and everybody's looking at you like you're a freak and there's nothing you can do about it because something in your brain went wrong because of, in my case, it was previous trauma and then they probably had some kind of a situation that made it worse that they're not sure of, but that's a long story for another day. So those are the biases on the table. I know what it's like to stand there and everybody stare at you. Yes, I've done that. Okay. Yes. Here's the whole thing that I want to start with with him. Let's go in chronological order because there's a lot of mess here. There is. So two day was two three days before the primary. Yeah, um, like two three days before the primary. Back in May, Fetterman basically disappears. Turns out he's in the hospital, and then they announced that he had a stroke. You already touched on it, so I just want to start right there. I understand it's a political campaign. Yes. The way they addressed it, the way they slow rolled it out, the way they tried to control the information, combined with the way it was covered by the news media. This was a mess from the very, very go, including because it was two days before a primary. That, by the way, he was winning by a ton, so it, that was, may or may not have had a lot to do with it. Yeah, so this was bad from the go. This was bad from the go. So, like, as soon as the debate started, I don't know if you saw, but Connor Lamb started trending because Connor Lamb background was one of his opponents. I don't. That is a red herring because Lamb was already not going to win that primary just because he was a congressman and Fetterman was a statewide elected official. So, and Fetterman, it's important to remember during the 2020 elections was on TV all the time, pushing back on Trump's BS on the elections. So he just naturally had a lot more, um, 
recognition, uh, uh, name ID. And that, as we know, name ID, you know, as much as people don't like it, name ID means you have an advantage. Then, and by this point, people already had made up their mind. And then, you know, they were not openly transparent about it. Obviously, there was the there was the report later that um, he hadn't gone to the doctor in a long time, uh, you, you know, in a long time before that came out, like, I think, like a month after. Let's pause stroke. here real quick. He's six foot eight. He has yes. been very public about fighting his weight. Again, we're not going to diagnose. This is just for, yeah. we're going to stick to stuff that's reported and that we see with our own eyes. He's been public about it. he's talking about it. he lost something like 150 pounds prior Probably. to this campaign. He had gotten up to 400 ish, but he's like six foot eight. He's a huge dude. He is so weight and health when he's talking about this. This is something he's talked about consistently. So I just want to make sure that gets out there. Let's put that out there. Yes. So this is so this was something that was already going to be that, that animated the entire summer because he really wasn't on the trail until like I think August was his first like in-person event. Um so that was so 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 this was already so this animated how the campaign was already going to be and at the same time there was already i think a what happened is during the summer fetterman just barraged and battered up oz and ran up his unfavorables so i think that there was almost an impulse by and I don't want to blame the press, but I think the Pennsylvania political press needed to do something to to rediscuss and talk about his vulner his vulnerables and his downsides. And I think Oz needed a an antidote, so to speak. And I think that that was when you saw his campaign saying if if John Fetterman had ever eaten a vegetable, you know, he wouldn't have had a stroke. That was when they did the we'll pay for his medical personnel. That was that that was them trying to go for the throat because they had because. Fetterman had just been merciless with him throughout the summer. Uh, yeah. And also Oz, Oz got, unlike Fetterman, Oz got bloodied up throughout the primary between Dave McCormick and, Dick and Kathy Barnett. So let's, let's put that all out there. That's the background and the context for why this became such an intensely personal and vicious. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah, Eric Garcia covers Congress for the Independent. Look, things do not happen in a vacuum. And part of the problem with the disability stuff and the debate stuff is everybody just grabbed it in a vacuum and didn't do all the background on it. So that's why we're taking time to walk through all this. Yes. Okay. It's one of our founding principles on this show. Things do not happen in a vacuum. No. So you get you get the you get to the debate. I'm just gonna go there with it because let let's be honest. I've got my own health issues. Hell, I'm going to Duke today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So as soon as I'm done with you, I'm getting in the car. Yeah. When you have disabilities or health issues or whatever, your caregivers and your healthcare workers and the people around you are supremely important. Yes. Is there any version of this story with Fetterman where his team, his handlers, his caregivers, whoever, and I'm not touching this wife stuff, y'all do that on your own time. Is there any version of this where his healthcare team and his handlers have not let him down? Um, I think that there are. Um... There are some scenarios, but I think that regardless, I, I, I don't think that there was any way. So, so, so this is, I was talking about this with Merida Shiner, uh, who is, who used to be a congressional reporter, national recent PR. Uh, she's a roll caller like I was. The real thing that more than anything got me was that they were trying to, they clearly tried to make him have zinc quote-unquote zingers and this is why i don't like debates because they're all about zingers and sound bites him doing the oz rule thing was kind of that was clearly them trying to show that hey he can do the kind of dog and pony show that uh that debates are rather than just letting him speak from the heart and speak honestly and openly and candidly so when that happened i think that was how his team more than the disability stuff more than allowing him to go on stage things like that i think that by having him try to i think that instead of readjusting the expectations and showing because like he even in the primary debates and it was interesting is that his team actually put out a um a memo. I don't know if you saw this, but like they put out a memo, like literally before they said this isn't his strong suit. Even in the debates before he had a stroke uh, in the primary, he wasn't that great. And it's true, they like Lamb and Kenyatta, Malcolm Kenyatta, clobbered him in the debates, particularly about the gun, the shotgun stuff. I think that it was a mistake to make him do normal things that candidates do, rather than show that candidates with disabilities campaign differently. And I don't want to say because I because I because I, I don't like the idea of voters just having empathy, sympathy for can't people because they have a disability, because oftentimes that turns into pity. But I think that there was a way to show just to have him speak candidly instead of just sticking to his talking points, 
which then made it look like it was forced. So I think that's where I think he was ill-served, was by forcing him to do talking points, talking about the Oz rule, um, or talking about swiping, like an oil company that he doesn't swipe right on, uh, or, or something like that. I think that was the real mistake, was making it was making him do the dog and pony show, which, requi- which, which, which just looked really difficult, you know, rather than just letting him speak candidly. Yeah, Eric Garcia, the independent, joining us, author. This is gets to the heart of this whole thing and why this got so messy on social media, and it's why the disability community reacted so strong, and it's why the political press reacted so strong. Almost everyone, and I'm going to broad brush this because I think everybody's got a little bit of hypocrisy here one way or the other, and everybody's yes. got their biases. Everybody wants it both ways with this thing. Yes. They want to say, okay, he's got disabilities. We need to respect the disabilities. But you just said it. They turn around and try to make him do a dog and pony show at the same time. They didn't set him up to go, okay, here, here's his needs, and we need this accommodation, and then sticking to it, and then turning around. By the way, his team after that was horrific. His campaign manager ought to have been fired on the spot for the, the spot he did. I don't know if you saw that or not. Well, yeah, his contract up and starts dropping. Uh, yeah, he stops dropping that spot. Like, what are you doing? But this gets to the core of this whole issue. Because people with disabilities want respect and accommodation. Yes. Where's those lines? And these this is, these are somewhat rhetorical questions because society will always wrangle with this. Okay, we're going to give you accommodations. We're going to give you respect. When can we start judging you on your actions after we give you accommodations and respect? Yeah. How do we judge your actions in asking for those? How do we you know measure you? Look, this is a political contest for a high office in the yes. country. How do we measure your performance? and factor that in. These are all those sticky questions we're skipping over because we want to yell terms and buzzwords at each other on social media and we don't want to deal with it. And I understand the frustration of the disability community because they're watching this happen again and again and again. This is just a really loud version of it. Yes. That's really the core of all this and really don't have anything to do with the politics of it. It doesn't have anything to do with So yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that it doesn't really have a lot to do with veterans. It has to do with the fact that people with disabilities have uh, not had the best media coverage and a lot of that is um due to the fact that there really isn't a lot of um there are a lot of people with disabilities by the way amanda morris at the washington post she literally just had a piece that came out this morning i, I suggest everybody read it and everybody follow her at amanda it's on our stack. we're actually going to already link to that so that'll be in the show notes linked yeah yeah so uh so and amanda is a child of deaf parents and a um hard of hearing herself so like go read amanda because she actually did the she actually did the hard reporting for this so to your point about judging him on his merits, the a lot of people talked about the fracking part of the debate and the fact that people were worried because of, because of the disability. I actually had a different take on that, which was that wasn't a problem with his stroke. That was a problem of him flip-flopping. And that's where you judge him on the merits, is that he didn't have a good answer about previously dis liking fracking and then flipping that is something to me at least where it is totally fair to judge him on the merits because just like any other politician he didn't have a good defense of it so let's set aside because again what you could see that instead of the instead of his team letting him speak just candidly or try to find his own way around talking about it. But really, there isn't any really way to talk about it because the fact that he did change his position, they tried to make him do talking points rather than accommodate him. 
I think his team did. So I think that's the real thing is that the fracking part was difficult because it didn't was was not anything to do with his disability. It was just the fact that he was being hypocritical. So like when we talk about judging him on his merits, that's an example where you could judge him on his merits. Him interrupting Oz during his closing Oz's closing remarks. That has nothing to do with his with his disability. If you interrupt somebody during your closing remarks, you kind of come off as kind of gruff, you know? So I think that's where I kind of drew the line in my mind is that I was very much is that and then again it was him going back to the Oz rule and I just and I I generally just don't like buzz slogans or things like that so 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 keep that take that into account there was instead of just doing this rehearsed pablum he could have talked about the issues in ways that were adaptable to him Uh, you know the big problem I have was that his team did it. So, like, I'll give you an example. When I was following around Senator Tammy Duckworth and Senator Mark Kirk, because a lot of people were saying, oh, well, Mark Kirk wasn't treated that fairly in the press. He was. Like, I treated, like, like a lot of people, you know, he was out for a while and, you know, wasn't really made as made as a, as a big issue, you know. Cover uh, the backstory, um, though, there. He had a, um, was it a hem- cerebral hemorrhage? I can't remember. But he had to have brain surgery, like, skull off brain surgery. Very yes. serious. And Tammy Duckworth, of course, is a combat wounded vet who, has multiple amputations and is most of the time in the wheelchair, although she also uses prosthetics. So just full coverage of what that yeah, is. Yeah, full background for that. One of the things is that one of the things that I was really adamant about when I was working at Roll Call and I covered that is that I said that candidates with disabilities are going to campaign differently. There is incidentally enough, there's and this is a tangent, but I think this is interesting, is that there's a there's a book called Enabling Acts by Leonard Davis that talks about the 1988 campaign, touches on it a little bit. And what's interesting is some people have speculated, some people in Dole's campaign, in the Bush Dole primary, speculated that when H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, shoveled snow in New Hampshire, that was seen as like, oh, he could do that when Dole, when Dole couldn't, when Bob Dole couldn't because of his injuries. So I think that what was different is that they didn't say, is it, because Fetterman did have a point where he said, you know, I've campaigned in front of, in front of rallies and like, you know, I, sh- I show that I can do that. I think that what they did, I think that what they should have said and they should have framed it differently is that I'm not going to, I, you know, I can't do the whole, you know, Pablum Kabuki theater that we that we often have, that campaigns often require. But that doesn't mean I can't do the job. That doesn't mean with closed captioning, I can't be on the Senate floor and cast the votes. They didn't, what they needed to do and what they needed to show was that people with disabilities can do the job. I would have loved to have seen him say, yeah, with closed captioning, I can hear what's going on on the floor with, uh, with uh, all these things. Like, like I can do the job and because I've seen people do it. I, I've seen people with devices, on, you know, with that do closed captioning on their phone. They didn't, they didn't address that. Instead, they just said, I had a stroke. They tried to address it. Right. I get why they did it right at the front rather than being adamant, even, uh, you know, when Federer, even when Oz got really vicious, they didn't go back to that and they didn't they didn't reassure people because I think that what what, what needs, needs to happen is that people with disabilities should set you, you know a we need to change how we process communication and and recognize that just the way that people because I've talked to plenty of non-speaking people with disabilities and obviously they can be very very intelligent more intelligent than I am and then on the other end I think that what needed to happen was his campaign really didn't say really didn't go on the out front by them lowering the bar 
that that was the soft bigotry of low, low expectations rather than saying he's just going to he's going to debate differently Yeah, and this Eric Garcia joining. This is what really upset me about this. And again, I can care less about the politics. I think Mehmet Oz is unfit for office on a couple levels. His Turkish ties, he has no qualifications. He's a charlatan. But I'm not even talking about the politics. All this here, here. This is what upset me. Is okay. I agree with everything you just said, but his campaign has tried to soft pedal this from the go, and I kind of get that. But they want to downplay it on the one hand. Then they turn around on the other hand and go, well, he needs accommodations. But then they turn around and try to make him do the dog and pony show anyway after saying they're not going to do the dog and pony show. That's the exact treat. That's why the disability community gets so upset. Is like they're watching in real time the mouth and the actions and the words and the handlers and the person with the disability. That's just replay to so many of those folks because they're just watching in real time what happens all the time of yeah. we're going to say one thing and then we're going to demand you do the other. Yeah. His, and we his, just his, watched that on television and everybody and because it's a political contest, like, oh, he did horrible in the debate. And I'm sitting there go like, no, his people didn't. Why do you put him in a position to fail like that? And it's not a political thing. It really it's is. It's, it's like, why? Why is anybody doing this? Yeah. This, this you, had like six steps that should have stopped short before anything got to this. Yeah, you couldn't tell. Like, I mean, I think that from what I so so this is just from what I understand is that like I can't, I don't do, you know, I've I've tried to figure out whether he's actually because like I should say, Pennsylvania, and I because I wrote about I I actually went to Western Pennsylvania in my book, you, you know, to travel for my book. And Western Pennsylvania has the first openly autistic state legislator, um, Jessica Benham, who is uh, just who everybody keep your eye on Jessica Bennett because she's going to go like, like, like just, I'm not saying that just cause I'm autistic, but she, she's going to be going places. Pennsylvania has a history on disability. Uh, the great, um, uh, Dick Thornburg, who was attorney general during the Bush administration, during George, H., George H. W. Bush's administration was, it was a big advocate on this. Tom Ridge, a former governor of Pennsylvania was also big. And he's, he now works a lot on ending some minimum wage labor. There is a history in Pennsylvania on disability rights. Bob Casey is probably one of the best senators on disability, like knowledgeable on disability rights. They didn't, I think that what they didn't do is that like, what, what a lot of people don't know is that the Philadelphia, and I'm, I'm sorry, I know that this is a tangent, but like this, this is important. The Philadelphia Eagles, what a lot of people don't recognize is the Philadelphia Eagles have a sensory friendly room for autistic young people want to go watch Philadelphia Eagles games. Now I would like it for there to be sensory friendly for adults too, you know, not just for kids. Cause I think that we tend to think of it just as for kids, but the fact that, so there is that there is like Pennsylvania is one of those States where there is that knowledge. It's not, it's not like a lot of States where there isn't that, where there isn't that, you know, context and familiarity. Instead, what they did is, is it, is that they framed, is it that, that memo that they did framed it as, Oh, well, he's not a good debater to begin with. And they put the closed captioning, like, and this is very granular. They put the closed captioning part in their memo, setting expectations way at the bottom when they should have put it even at the middle or the top and said, this is how to cover it. This is what, and you could tell that they didn't necessarily even consult with people with disability, like disability rights activists or just, you know, and there are plenty of them in Pennsylvania. 
for how to contextualize it. So that was that was the thing is that there was very very little. Uh, there, there wasn't the right reframing to begin with, and you can tell the Fetterman campaign didn't think about the disability part. And, and that, that I think was frustrating because then I think for a lot of people, disability rights activists, because then they felt like they had to, and I'm sure there are plenty of disability people with disabilities who would have liked to have, in fact, I know people with disabilities who supported Connor Lamb and who supported Kenyatta in Pennsylvania. But then and they had to, like, vote yeah, for us too. Let's be fair. Yeah, yeah, and vote for us too. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe McCormick or you know or, or whatever, or even Doug Mastriano. They wound up having to do overtime for something the the Fetterman campaign should have done. You know, that's and that that's unfair to the disability community because the Fetterman campaign didn't do their due diligence in informing people about disability. Yeah, Eric Garcia joining us. This goes to a bigger problem in society, but this is a really good example of it. I, and I get it. I get it. When something gets on TV and it goes viral on social media, people people that are in certain groups they they want they want to use that moment to get their messaging out. I don't know that a political campaign with Fetterman with his condition and his stroke and all this. I'm not sure this is a good avatar for the disability community and or the national conversation on disabilities. Yeah. Now I know that's harsh to say, but I just I'm as somebody that cares about these issues. This is I don't think this is a really good avatar for folks because there's a couple layers that you got to pick through like we're doing. And those don't fit on tweets and those don't fit on sound bites and those don't fit on podcasts. Yeah, well, like this is why I say that I that I'm not a fan of debates like generally. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why losing candidates always demand more debates than or candidates that are in the red tend to demand debates because they want to get on TV. They want to have that snappy soundbite. I think that I understand why, and I and I, I've tweeted this before. I tweeted this a few weeks ago. And that's what got, and that's what landed me on my tweets on Tucker Carlson. Um, uh, my mom was proud of that, by the way. Uh, but uh, Tucker was against his tweets. Just for those of you from Logan, yeah, aren't yeah, keeping yeah. track of the score there. That that was yeah. not a good thing for him. But we've been laughing about it. Yeah, we've been laughing. We've been have, we've had fun with it. I think that I understand. So like, I understand why the disability community wanted to discuss this i think it's important and i also think that i think that like political said like uh you know most people don't talk about ableism well that's you, you know that was malpractice for political to say that you know in the playbook you know because then it's kind of our job to, you know i think it's our job to talk about ableism but I define it for people. I hate to interrupt you, but so, so before we go any further, is, define it because I saw a whole bunch of people that have no clue what it is. And again, and again I should say that um, this that I'm speaking in the broadest terms, and there are plenty of people who have you know subgroups. Ableism is essentially discrimination against people with disabilities simply because they are disabled, um, and because a lot of people with disabilities believe in the social model of disability. They believe that oftentimes it is society that disables people as much, if not more, than the actual disability or the impairment. That's not, a lot of them don't, that's not to say that, that's not to erase the real difficulties that people with disabilities have. A lot of them are the biggest advocates for their own health care uh, because God knows the medical system doesn't really think of them that much. But it's to say that oftentimes society is just, it's just a discriminatory. So let's put that out there. Um, but I think that it's always tough when you put a, when you make a political candidate, especially when there's just one political candidate who's disabled, into the forefront and talk talking about it, because then it's really hard to parse out what is 
what is ableism versus what is uh, just the the slings and arrows of of campaigning. So I, I, I understand why people want to defend him, and I understand why uh, people with disabilities think that the general coverage was noxious, and a lot of it was. But I think that this is just, especially two weeks out from the campaign, especially in the context of a lot of this debate, that was that's been intensely personal. This campaign is one of the, I'd say it's the ugliest one in the you know in the country. Saying something this cycle. Yeah, God, it was gonna. It's inherently dicey. So I under, So on one hand, I understand it. On the other hand, I'm like, okay, it's really really tough because I don't want because like I because like I should say, I want to judge Fetterman. It's as if if Fetterman or Oz gets in there, I'm gonna judge him by his merits and like if. Fetterman is walking the halls and has a captioning device when I'm asking him questions. That doesn't bug me. And, you know, I'll still ask him, how are you going to vote on this thing? You know, now I might take him to a quiet place, like, you know, where he can listen to the captioning just because I, I have that, you know, understanding. But, like, I'm still going to give him a heart, but, like, I'm still going to, but then, like, I'm going to be like, okay, we're in a quiet place. You don't have an excuse, you know? And in the same way, we're, you know, if Oz is, you know, walking the halls, I'm gonna ask him questions, you know. So, so, so I think that it's always difficult when you tie, whenever people tie a candidacy to a larger issue, as, as you said, like him becoming an avatar. So that's the really difficult part. I think. Garcia, let's just go there with that part of it because here, here's the other problem. Yes. For the average person in real life, my rule with disabilities, in fact, we just had a meeting and they had a, a peer group thing with the VA about two weeks ago. We just hashed this out. It's like you accommodate the disability and then you figure the rest of it out later. In yes. the moment, just accommodate it as best you can. And sometimes I, I understand sometimes folk, like, well, people abuse it. Like, okay, but let somebody else figure that part out. Like, yes. you just accommodate the disability as best you can and move on. And keep yes. things moving and keep people respected. And th that's how you yes. deal with it. But that's in person. Yeah. Online, you're in the news media. I'm in the media business. I'm in the opinion business. You report facts as best you can. People that are just tweeting or doing Facebook posts, how do we talk about this better? Because that face-to-face -face interaction goes away. And I try to pretend like Twitter's face-to-face. -face. That's how I try to police Yeah, I try, I try to, you know, even if But I how do they do it? Because this is because a lot of people look, this is new to a lot of people. This is the, new the to things we've learned about the spectrum, which, which was in your book. A lot of that stuff's 2030s. I mean, this stuff's all new. What we know about strokes now, you know, you is just mentioned it. We're going to have candidates, if not this cycle, really soon with more and more disabilities in Congress, in the Senate, in state houses and state. We got a bunch in the legislatures already. Governorships. We got we got to learn how to talk about this stuff. And throwing ableist at somebody over a political opinion is damaging to everybody. We don't want to do that. How do people need to talk about this in a better way? I think a lot of it is, so it's it's funny because, you know, you say a lot of people don't know this. So like roughly a quarter, if we're to believe CDC members, uh, you, you know, roughly a quarter of Americans have a disability, something like 26%. And that's not counting people with disabilities who don't consider themselves part of the, the disability community. Uh, 
the way I think we discuss it is by looking, recognizing that a we don't know the full context of everybody's experience. You, you know, like I, I was, I was thinking like. Um, some people got on my friend Sarah Luderman and I'm, I've been, you and I have been talking about getting her on the show because like uh, some people got cross with her when she made some comment about disability and she's like and uh, and then people didn't realize that she's disabled herself and then like she's like I don't have to put everything in my Twitter bio you know uh, um, you know a lot of times people in my uh, people in my mentions you know a lot of parents are like uh, my favorite is when they say like well you shouldn't use uh, autistic person you should say person with autism that's what parents that's what parents say i'm like i'm autistic you know so 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 let's let's recognize that we don't know the full context of everything and let's also recognize that just like you know i understand i believe in the idea of cross disability solidarity and you know because a lot of people with disabilities have more than one disability and one often gives way to the other um or gives way to another oftentimes and eventually as if we're all for if we're fortunate enough to get old in our old age we will become disabled you know if we don't die young um but uh i think that that's so as important as that is it's also important to recognize that a person affects their disability as much as the disability affects their person so to speak and i think it's also important to recognize that each disability is individual and everybody's experience is individual, and that um, there's a lot that even when, you know, so like I'm very, obviously by, I wrote a whole book about it, I'm very open about a lot of my disability. There are also parts of it that are nobody's business but my own. And I think that's the other part that we had to recognize is that we are only seeing a tiny version of ourselves on social media. It is a curated version. And in politics, that is even, that is juiced up because politicians by nature curate parts of themselves that they think are the most palatable to the public. Yeah, Eric Garcia joined us. And just real quick to kind of put a little bit of bow on it. It works the other way because I talked yes. to these folks and I, and you, you've done this when you research your book because you went in these folks' houses. Look, there's people the other way where that's all they talk about on their social media is their disability because they don't talk about it in their real life. And it's not their biggest issue, but they're using that for messaging. This goes both ways because some of that messaging stuff where you're trying to get it out there and you're trying to get awareness, that doesn't mean they want it 24 hours a day in their home life either because they're still trying to live their normal lives as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the things that I often say is that like tweeting doesn't make you an expert on disability. Like you actually have to do like, uh, um, I understand like, especially when you get a diagnosis or when you are newly joined part of a community and you, you know, it's kind of the fervor of a convert. Um, but I also feel like there is a way to talk about it because to your, to, to your point, a lot of people with disabilities say, yes, this is an inherent part of me and I need you to see this. 
And I believe that, like, I believe that we need to see people's disability, not just say like, oh, I, I, you know, look past it. I think we need to acknowledge it and recognize that this, is, this is a part of them. At the same time, I think that like what a lot of people with disabilities say is that, yes, this defines me. But I, I'm also, so like one of the things I say is like, yeah, autism is a very big part of like, you know, it, de it determines what day, what time of the day I get on the train. Um, because if I get on the train when there's too many people or there's too many buzzing, no, no, just no. Um, but at the same time, I also want to do work. Like I was very adamant when I, uh, when I started writing about autism, when I wrote that first piece for National Journal and then when I wrote my book, that I was going to go back to work. Uh, that, and that my day job has very little to do with disability. I write about I write a column for MSNBC about disability. For the most part, I just write about politics, and I'm ha and, I, and I'll I'm happy to do that until you know somebody tells me I, I suck and I can't do it anymore. You know, uh, I think that's the other I think that's the other part of it is that people with disabilities also want to be judged on their merits. They don't want you know plenty of people want to acknowledge, want to accommodate, and then want to be treated like everybody else. So. I, I think that I think that generally, um, again, this is the point that I want to make: is that campaigns are inherently difficult. Like, it's it's inherently difficult to make a campaign your avatar for talking about larger things because it's because like I guarantee you, in three days, nobody's going to be talking about that. Like, or once the election's over, nobody's going to be thinking about this one way or the other. Um, and it's and I worry that just the same way that that kind of parachuting in by a lot of people who don't understand it, uh, a lot of reporters who are just parachuting in to do it. As soon as they leave, you know, you know that doesn't do them any service either because a lot of people with disabilities aren't going to have that. So I think that if there's anything that the media can do with this, there's anything the press can do, it's it's to use this opportunity to build and cultivate that those relationships and checking them on them like you do any other sources and so that we when this happens again in the future because you said this will happen again we don't just all bull rush bull rush it in but we there will be people with um with the knowledge and the and the community sources and the community trust and the and the building like, like like one of the things that i said is that like don't get me wrong i love amanda morris i love sarah luderman i love those people but it's rough that they're the ones who have to go on the front lines whenever this stuff happens because a lot of non-disabled reporters just aren't doing the work that's all awesome. yeah which is why we bring you on Cause yeah. I, you know, I could have called a lot of people. I first, first part of the DM, I was like, you and me going to talk about this. You're like, we're yep, going to talk cool. about this. Yeah. But, but, but I think this is important to disclose. And I don't want to talk out of school, but because we're always talking about this, like yeah. I text you or DM you and like, Hey, what, are, how do I handle this? What do we discuss about that? Like, that's the background when you're talking about parachuting in talking about tough issues is like developing a sports skill or a craft skill or anything else. You've got to do some reps to get good at it. Yeah, and if we're going to talk about these tough issues, we can't just parachute in on it. You need to have some contacts that have disabilities. You need to have those perspective things. And that's something we work really hard. Sometimes we fail. We say we're wrong and we're wrong yeah. on our show, but this isn't something I just woke up this morning and said, I'm going to cover disability. I've been doing it and you've yeah, been doing it. it. And, and that's important. 
you and I talked about it. And it's like, I think that one of the best pieces about this was the uh, New York Times piece that Maggie Astor, who I know she had some mental health issues, but like, I don't know if she's physically disabled or anything. I can't, I can't say, like, I'm not going to be the judge, but like, because, you know, she's built those sources, you know, and she has that trust so that she knew who to call once this, once the debate was over. So if there's anything good that could come out of this, it's reporters building those sources so that, and building just like you do in cultivating any other bead, so that when the stuff comes up again, we're not having this frenzy that really just, you, you know, my, my, my whole feeling when this whole thing happened was, and you know, my feeling about this is like, I'm all, whenever disabilities in the news, I'm like, again, um, and you, I think I think I've tweeted that just like seeing how it's being discussed and how, I'm like, we're doing this again, you know? Yeah. So that, I think that's, if there's anything good that comes out of it. I hope it's that. Yeah. We, we learn, we learn about people when you have a viral story like that, when you have a crisis like that, you, you saw who was scattershot and didn't know what they were talking about real quick. And those are the things you need to mark and pay attention to and then figure out who does know, because you know, whether they did their homework in crisis because they don't have time to go look it up. They just got to react to it. That's yeah. I'm talking about. You, you don't have to be a reporter for this. Like just as a news media consumer, this is what you should be. You should have a basic working knowledge on certain things so that you don't get sideswiped and you lose your bearing and don't know where to go on a tough story. And then, by the way, you notice I didn't do this show yesterday, the day after it happened. I waited a day. Why? Yeah. No, I yeah, wanted to exactly. put my own thoughts together on it, even because I had a strong reaction. I'm like, no, nope, go going to wait. Let it breathe. Then we'll talk about it. I, yeah, that was the thing that because like I knew I, ha I, I had a strong reaction to it. And what I did is I kind of cooled down. And then what I did is I, is I listened to people who I know are more knowledgeable about me. A lot of people think that a lot of people, cause like my, my, my dad, uh, God bless my dad. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's just like, well, you're kind of an expert about this stuff. Like he was talking about this when I was back home, uh, not about this, but about something else, you know, this is really stuff. And I was like, and it was funny to me because it was just like, God, I am not an, yeah, I wrote a book about it, but like, I still try to read as much as I can and consume as much as I can about it. And that was why I was glad that you gave me a day and I tried to read as much as I could and listen to as many people as I could. Um, and I, th I think to, I think to your point, like this was, there were, there, there was missed opportunity after missed opportunity. I want there to, and if there's anything good, but if there's, you know, again, this is my, my, my Christian school upbringing, what man intended for evil, God intended for good, you know, if there's anything good that comes of it, I hope that it's that more reporters build sources or see people with disability on the news media talking about this. And then, no, hey, I know I should probably call Maria Town or I should call Rebecca Coakley. I should call Julia Bascom or I should call, uh, you know, any of these other people, you know, any of these other folks or Andrew Pullrang or email Alice Wong or something, you know, so. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Eric Garcia, that's why we talk about this tough stuff with you, man. I appreciate your insight. Another tough topic. One of these days, we'll just talk about ice cream or something. We just did pie with RJ the other day. I'll get you on yeah. for something easy for 10 minutes. Uh, tell people where they can find the book. You are you do a column for MSNBC, your day job. You write all kinds of stuff for the Independent Congressional Reporter. You're going to be busy the next couple of weeks, and especially God in the spring. Me. Enjoy your Christmas, because that might be the last time you breathe until probably April or May. No, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because, like, my mom, I talked about this, my mom, you know, like, I say that, like, my mom worked in Macy's, you know, for a long time. And, uh, and, and so, like, I knew from, like, middle of November to, like, the beginning of January, I wouldn't see my mom that much, like, a lot, you know, just because she, she you know, she was making everybody else's season merry and bright while she was busy. And, like, you know, but now that she's out of the retail business, I get to spend Christmas with her, so I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. Um, I hope that I think that what I want to say with the disability community is, um, you know, I spent a lot of time covering it. If people listen to this, I hope that they correct me where I'm wrong. And I hope that I did a good job summarizing what I've heard because I was, I've just been trying to hear what people have told me. And I hope that I did. A, I hope I did a good enough job. So, you know, that's that's what I was trying to do. So. You rarely regret gaining more knowledge and using a little empathy. And yeah. especially on tough issues like this, that's what we do. Eric Garcia, you're the best. We will link to all this stuff. We're going to link to some of the pieces we discussed too. Uh, Suderman did a uh, Twitter thread that I sent out. She And again, she wasn't talking politics at all, just straight disability stuff that got some people worked up. We're going to link to stuff like that. Uh, do your homework on this thing because you need to read yeah. a lot of different viewpoints on this stuff. Yeah. She, yeah, Sarah, like I, I really hope that she, she said that it's tentative, but I really wanted to get you on the show. So. Yeah, I hope so. Eric Garcia, you're the best, my friend. Thank you for the time, sir. That'll do it for Herd Tell. As always, love to hear from you. HerdTellShow at gmail.com. Send us an email, HerdTellShow on the Twitter. You can DM us and follow us there. Also, my Twitter handle, Four for the Fire, and those of our guests is always in the lower third graphics. If you're watching on the YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast, there'll be links for you to follow both the writing of the folks we have on and us and our social media. This only works because you listen, and we so greatly appreciate you. So wherever you are, across the street or around the world. We hope you and yours are well. We hope you are well fed. We can't wait to see you again for more Herd Tell. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com.